Well, good morning. It is great to have you here on this Father's Day. I was talking with my wife today, and we were talking about the uh, different sermons that I have done recently, and realized that the last sermon I did was on Mother's Day, and did it on spiritual motherhood. Today, we're going to be talking about, on Father's Day, spiritual fatherhood. But I started thinking about different national holidays and days of um, memorial days that we celebrate as a country, and, and I looked up some other holidays which perhaps maybe I could speak on last, next year. These are some different ones in June that I found. On June 1st, it's National Heimlich Maneuver Day. I believe this means that for 364 days of the year, you need to chew up your food real nice and good, cut those grapes, you know, soften those carrots. But then that one day, June 1st, go crazy. You know, dump the horse pills all down together because that's the day, June 1st, Heimlich Maneuver Day. June 2nd, found out, is National Bubba Day. National Bubba Day, I didn't know what that meant either. This is what it says. On June 2nd, each year, we recognize all those we lovingly call Bubba in our lives. The name may come from the way young children try to shorten the word brother. Often used blah, 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 but this is a special day on June 2nd to celebrate Bubba. And so what I want to do, for each of the services this morning, if you would write in the chat your name if you were called Bubba, and next year, I'm dead serious, next year what I want from... The 8, 15, the 8 o'clock service, the 9.15 service, and the 11 o'clock service that we're airing today is that I want to take out on June 2nd, National Bubba Day, you three Bubbas. And us four are going to go out celebrate June 2nd. June 7th is National VCR Day. I found this very meaningful because I do think as a nation it's good to celebrate our ancient history. Sunday, June 14th, is Pop Goes the Weasel Day. I just don't know what committee came together and decided Pop Goes the Weasel is deserving a holiday. I'm a little frustrated I didn't preach last week because who knows what spiritual implications we could come from that day. But today, we're on Father's Day. Unfortunately, we are also on National Go Skateboarding Day. So I'm really grateful for those of you who bypassed the great National Go Skateboarding Day and are spending your time here with us this morning. We are going to talk about spiritual fatherhood as we did uh, Mother's Day Spiritual Motherhood. And we're actually going to be pulling from some of the same principles as looked at in Luke 15 that we talked about on Mother's Day. I'm going to read the passage in Luke 15. It's a very familiar one. It's the story of the lost son, is what it's often called, or the prodigal son. From Luke 15, starting in verse 11, we're going to read that together, and then we'll pray this morning as we hear from the Scripture and also tune our hearts to what the Spirit is saying today about what it means to practice spiritual fatherhood and to grow up under our good Father. Luke 15 reads this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. 
and he there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomachs with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he had come to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The story goes on and there's another interaction between the uh, father and the older son. It says in verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in at the brother's party. His father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving and you've never given me even a young goat that I could celebrate. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was lost and he is alive again. He was lost and is now found. Father, we do come before you. We, we use this name, Father, to describe who you are. It is a name by which I'm sure there are, triggers us to very happy places and some confusing places on this day. But we come to you as the Father, the one with the authority and benevolence to care for his children. We recognize you as long with the other great, great men that we have listening with us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we ask your direction for us. Amen. The, the story of the lost son is really a story of three different characters and there's been a lot written, a lot discussed, appropriately so, about the prodigal son, the son that had gone away. And part of spiritual development and understanding who we are as people is embracing the fact that we can be like the youngest son, like the prodigal son, looking for love and acclaim in stuff, in things, and trying to find our worth and significance and enjoyment in things outside of God, in things, as we see in the story, where that true joy cannot be found. And what all of us have begun to understand in the spiritual life is that as you amass things, as you uh, are, are getting more and more of stuff, as you are trying to fill a relational void with material things, it's, we recognize that it is ultimately not fulfilling. It is a path of spiritual development to learn that stuff does not fulfill in and of itself. And there's also a lot more written also about the older son, the son that is hesitant, the son that is stiff, 
in the story. The, the son that is, that is staying a long way off, living in judgment. This is the, the son that, that is sitting there eating what the good place is a show on NBC that calls the moral dessert. As in, he's recognizing all that he has done, all the things he has done. But instead of enjoying this relational connection that's happening with his family right now, he stays along off and says, actually, I'd rather stay here and judge. I am the proud son every time I try to use my talent and morality and sense of who's above and below to determine or to judge how good I am, how good or not good other people are. And we learn a lot from this son and a lot from the father's response. We've, you've probably, if you're familiar in church world, you've read books or heard sermons or have been in discussion about what it means to be the prodigal son, to be the proud son. Over the last few years, I've been starting to think, what is it like to be the father? Now, I know, whoa, 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 the Father, that's a picture of Father God in the story. It absolutely is. It's a picture of Father God. That is the way the character and role of God operates with his children. But I believe in our journey of spiritual maturity, in our journey of being transformed to the image of and likeness of Christ, we learn lessons not just about what we are as a prodigal or what we are as proud, but that spiritual maturity is moving on just being, in this story, a son, but growing into something and someone beyond ourselves. We're going to look at the compassionate father this morning. He's centered on others and not bound up in his own fear, not obsessed with his own ego. He, he remains open and hopeful and vulnerable, not even knowing why his son was coming to him. He ran from a far off distance. He freely shows compassion and love. He fears God and lives righteously regardless of what those around him think. This story, I believe, is not just about the prodigal and the proud, but ultimately a story of the Father. I believe we learn what it's like to live out spiritual fatherhood from this story and in other places in Scripture. I want to share with you five things about spiritual fatherhood. The first thing I want to mention is that in talking about spiritual fatherhood, we're talking about more about what it means to be a man of God not just what it means to be a dad of God. Spiritual fathering is the male Christian path to maturity, whether you have children or you don't. Paul to Timothy talks about this in the formation of church and the brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers within the family of God. Spiritual fatherhood is a role that someone um, moves into along their spiritual journey with those around them, whether or not they are their children or not. Honestly, many of the people who have taught me most about this concept of spiritual fathering have not been married or dads themselves. What does it mean to be a godly man? It is a journey towards spiritual fatherhood. Second thing, spiritual fatherhood 
is something we grow into over time. Apostle Paul talks about this in Hebrews, right? He talks about being infants and babes in spiritual development, sipping on spiritual milk. And he says you need to develop and be nurtured and be moving nearer and nearer to God from infants into growing up. And yes, we always remain children of God. Yes, we always remain dependent on God. But there is a sense of we are called to mature, move forward in our faith. Colossians 1, 26 says this, Paul said, writes this, he says, I labor and strive that I might present everyone complete and mature in Christ. This is the journey of living into our true self in God. Becoming in spiritual fatherhood is about becoming a man driven by deep connection with Christ, one who finds his need found in the love of God and is not bound to the protection, proven, performing, that is so nature to their own ego. This takes time. Passion is something that, that can mark any stage of spiritual life, right? And we want to be passionate as infants in Christ. If you're newer to Christ, a passion. We want to be passionate as we grow in Christ. Passion all the way through. But the goal of maturity in Christ is, is ultimately is a long obedience in the right direction. As Eugene, Eugene Peterson says, we need more than passionate followers. We need people who have walked long and far into God's love, which only takes place over time. Third, compassionate spiritual fatherhood is the way men are called to be like God. There's a, we've talked about this some before. There's a, there's a bracelet, WWJD. What would Jesus do? It was popular like 10 years ago or something. And, then the, and it's a great question, a great sentiment of what would Jesus do? How do we become like Christ? What do we what do, we do to do what Christ would do? And, but the reality is, is there's a lot of things that God does that I'm not supposed to do, right? Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I, I don't want to do that. He mediates a relationship between the broken and the well. I can't do that. Between sinner and others. He, he would, there, there's a sense of what God's office of, of his role and his office, his dominion, his control, his authority is something that I'm never called to have in the same way as God is. In fact, one of our oldest sins, actually our oldest sin, back to the garden, is trying to be like God. We deeply understand as we look at the pages of Scripture that there we are called to follow Him, but we are not called to be Him. Not very often in Scripture are we called to be like God. There is some ways that we are. Psalm 112 is, is a poem of the sage. It's a perfect poem for Father's Day, a poem about a, a, a spiritual leader. It's a deeply beautiful poem. And in this poem, there's, there's a word used, and it's gracious or compassionate. It's the word kanum, 
That word is used 13 times in the scripture, this kanun. It's used to refer God's gracious, merciful, compassionate. It's often used to describe the poor. In 11 instances in scripture, this word kanun is only used to describe the character of God himself. In two instances, one in Psalm 112, it's used about a person. In one, it's used in this aspect of being a sage. And I'm going to turn to Psalm 112, which I should have marked here for you. It says this, Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous talking about this poem of the sage. The other instance it's used is it's used earlier in Psalms where it says, be compassionate. The, the God is compassionate. Or, anyway, I don't have the direct quote. I apologize. It compares uh, the compassion of God to the compassion of a father. But this word is used mostly to describe God. But it's also used in this sense, as a father has compassion on his children, so God has compassion on his people. That's the one. But this word is specifically in the way that, that people, and uniquely fathers, are called to be like God, is to be like God in his compassion. Number four, spiritual fatherhood is about becoming less not about becoming more. Call of uh, men in uh, Ephesians 5 that's called to what it means to be a husband. It's a downward call. It says you should love your wife such you should lay down your life in service of them as Christ did. Uh, verse in, uh, we see in the New Testament talking about young men and their call to grow. It says this, likewise you who are younger be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As we walk in spiritual maturity, it's not an ascent to recognition. It's a descent. It's the downward way. It's not about ego. Ego is the small life. Ego is the trying to show that I'm something life. It's built in com uh, competition. It's using other people to feel good about ourselves. It's gaining resources so that I can feel like I've got the greatest kingdom. Biblical masculinity, spiritual fatherhood is about bending down to carry others, to mend wounds. It is not about standing up and flexing the call throughout Scripture, continually we see this, is there is a call to be strong and courageous. And several people, you can see Timothy, Joshua, many others in Scripture, the direct call is be strong, be courageous, don't have a spirit of fear. Anyone who knows anything about courage, it's not about being tough. It's about overcoming the fears that plague us, the fears of image the fears of failure, the fears of being judged, the fears of being uncomfortable. True bravery is a step towards serving others, not a step towards loving being a hero. 
True masculinity is laying down the need to have the last word, laying down the need to justify, laying down the need to have that toy, laying down the rights to stuff, position, advancement, to serve other people. Matthew 20, Jesus says this, if you want to be great, and if there's anything that lies in the heart of a man, it's this desire to be great. Jesus knows that. And Jesus says this, if you want to be great, learn to be the servant of all. Jesus called them together and said, you know what the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. A boy believes the world is all about him. A man is a recognition that there's, some, there's a kingdom of God so much beyond ourselves and that we are subservient to it and that our strength and our courage and our dominion is actually a way in which we serve to love and take care of others Movements towards servanthood, not towards importance or notoriety. Importance and notoriety, that's a boy's pursuit. A man is looking at a better kingdom. Fifth, spiritual fatherhood starts at home. It talks about this in 2 Timothy. We can see some of this in the book of Titus. That the people who are called to be spiritual fathers... In, in the church of God, the first question is, is what kind of people are they at home? It's the same kind of question we, we always ask to, to develop, to understand what kind of person someone is. It starts with difficult siblings. It starts with dealing with your own children. It starts with being a man of God and being a, a spiritual leader in workplaces and in um, the different environments that we are in in the places where we call our home. So those are five things about spiritual fatherhood and want to just uh, leave with three applications. These three application points are simply the ways towards spiritual fatherhood, the ways away from uh, the false self uh, or the ego, the ways that's all about me and my kingdom and look at how important I am. Honestly, that's a super small way of living. Ways away from that to say that way of trust, a way of um, true strength and living into the calling God gives us to be servants within the kingdom. First, sonship is the only way to spiritual fatherhood. Love from God begets selfless love of self from others, lack of love. Whenever we experience lack of love, it leads us to self-obsession. The human never can get its eyes off itself unless it knows it's secure. It's just the way we're wired. Only when we know the love of God, the safety of God, that, that, that sonship of, yes, God, you are, as a prodigal son, you are what I value and desire. As a proud son, say, yes, you're more than this moral dessert that I'm trying to fight over, wanting the relationship with God in its fullest. When the needs are met there, only then 
Can a man take his eyes off of himself long enough to truly love? For some of you, the idea of a gracious father is, I don't know, it's probably beyond a mysterious concept. It's a painful one. It's one that that, um, someone I was talking to is saying, talking about Father God, what does that mean? And he never related. It never connected with him, this sense of being fathered by God, because that's not what his relationship was like with his father. The compassionate um, protection and care and affirmation of a father to a son did not happen with him. In in our Christian life, if if we take that to God, we're always going to be trying to please, trying to get that father to recognize we are so thankful that when God uses father, he is not talking about a deadbeat dad. He's not talking about a distant man. He's not talking about someone who maybe provides some income but isn't there when is needed. When he's talking about a father, he's talking about a father who loved so much that he waited at home every night for his son. A father that was open to the vulnerability of being mocked and having other parents being like, why did you give your son a whole bunch of stuff and send him away? A father who ran, right in the story, he ran after the son, took off his own robe to clothe his son without knowing his son's intentions even. It's a man who is vulnerable, open, and loved and was willing to give and sacrifice of himself. That is the God. But unless we understand that we have a loving father who runs, who runs out of love and like for his sons, we never can move on. It is only in our sonship, understanding, in the midst of our waywardness, in the midst of our pride, that he remains there. One step further, just on this point of sonship's only way of spiritual fatherhood, I just want to say this to men and boys out there as you're watching. You need a spiritual father. You need somebody... That, that is developing you in your own life. And, and I know there are seasons when that comes more clunky or it's not really there and seasons maybe where you found a good relationship. But what I'd say is don't try to find someone who's, man, that guy's cool. I want to be like him in every way. That, that's great if you can have that. But you don't need to find someone who's into fishing if you're into fishing. You don't need to find someone who likes the shows that you like. You don't need to find someone who fits every political party opinion that you have. But find men who know God and be willing to vulnerably go and say, hey, I got a lot of waywardness here. I got a lot of pride here. Can you help show me the way? Because if we can't be a son well, we won't know how to be a spiritual father. Second thing by way of application is this the word is practicing faithful presence practice faithful presence see where the father is in the story 
He's there when his son needs to talk with him about, hey, I want this, my inheritance. Basically, he went to the father and said, hey, I wish you were dead. Give me your stuff instead of you. That's what's happening. And the father's present. Now the son goes away. The father remains present, willing to see a long way off. He's present and ready to respond to the son as he comes home. He's present with the older son, who's now frustrated with the situation with the younger son. There's this sense of the father is continually present and, and back to this concept of Jesus calling towards greatness, right? This servanthood greatness. Uh, an American sociologist and, and Christian professor of culture and social theory, James Davison Hunter, writes an incredibly insightful, thorough book called this, To Change the World. The book is called To Change the World. I really would advise you pick up a copy. It's an incredible book. It talks about the irony, tragedy, and possibility of Christianity in late modern world is the subtitle. In this book, he talks about what does it mean to actually influence and change the world. In an interview, he was asked, why did you write to change the world? He responded with these words. I wrote this book because I saw a disjunction between how Christians talk about changing the world, how they try to change the world, and how worlds, that is cultures, actually change. The disparities needed to be clarified. And in this book, he has this, this phrase, he goes back to over and over, how to change the world. Faithful presence. Faithful presence. It's not a solution one author writes about the book. The solution is not more power, but more strategic and authentic influence. Faithful presence, a phrase, Hunter Coins, implies sacrifice, submission, a quality that is the opposite of domination and the antithesis of celebrity. The practice of faithful presence requires faith, hope, and love. And this is uh, Hunter talking, not instrumentally and negation, the, not instrumentality and negation. The practice of faithful presence generates relationships and institutions that are fundamentally covenantal in nature, the end of which are the fostering of meaning, purpose, truth, beauty, belonging, and fairness not just for Christians, but for everyone. Okay, a lot of smart words. He's a smart guy. The, the concept of where people change, where the world changes, is not from celebrity. It's not from status. It's not from getting the right person in the right place so they can do the right things. The way the world actually changes, and if you want to be a part of the changing kingdom of God, you go down and you serve and you practice, as he says, faith, hope, and above all, love. You want to change the world. You want to practice spiritual fatherhood. Be present with those in your environment. Listen. Love. Lead not with overpowering or domination, but by consistently, faithfully, remaining present there's a movie came out in 2010 called of gods and men 
It's a story of seven monks who were in Algeria during a time of national crisis. And there was, uh, they were in a little Christian outpost and there was a, uh, amongst a, a largely Muslim environment. And they were in their outpost and they were ministering and they were serving the people. And in this film, um, they're, they're talking, going back and forth. It's of a true story. And, and they're realizing, the seven of these men are realizing, hey, we have not made much of a difference as far as conversions and everyone accepting Christ and we're not having these moments where we're seeing so much fruit we're just consistently serving and haven't seen that much fruit and and they were doing this as there was uh, political uprisings all around them and the threats were beginning to come on their Christian outpost and they were talking about themselves asking the questions should we stay or should we go and, and one of the things that they were talking about is the lack of effectiveness. Why are we even here? We don't see anything changing. We don't see miracles happening. We're just serving. And these seven men, they got together and had a conversation. And one of the monks stood up and said this. If we leave, in the midst of all this, he said, if we leave, what will it show these people about the character of God? Those seven months, monks ended up staying. Every single one of them was killed for their faith. They're choosing to remain present and their story has helped to change the world. Stay in it. I know that's so much built in men to try to advance, try to accomplish, try to take ground, try to move on, try to master all those things. Some of that's God-given strength. Stay in there. Stay with people. Don't just try to move on. Stay present for your own sons and daughters. Go to the baseball games. Even when it seems like, I don't even know, that didn't seem to be a good time, worth, worth my time investment. Faithful presence is what changes the world. It's what we see in God the Father and what we see of spiritual leaders in our midst. Um, Mike Iaconelli tells a story of a guy who went to a nursing home and he said, every time I went, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to be there. And uh, Mike Iaconelli told the story of this guy who would go, he felt awkward and he would always visit this one guy and he didn't know if this guy even realized he was there. He wasn't a person, he didn't have a lot of um, consciousness that he could tell. And so he felt awkward, but he would go stand and sit with this guy, maybe read some scripture, feel weird about it, and then leave. No magic moments happening. Well, this guy eventually kind of uh, had a lucid moment when people were around and there was not other people who would come and visit. And before this man died, he asked the people, they, he said, where's Jesus? And they're like, oh, I don't know, looks like you're about to go see him. And he said, where's Jesus? And like, what are they talking about? And he went back and described, and it was that awkward man who would come time after time, not knowing even what he was doing is that effective, but just remaining faithfully present. Faithful presence is how we change the world. And lastly, simply build compassion muscles every day. Be compassionate like your father God, we, we can't expect to always respond with such compassion if we're not practicing it 
in each of our environments. At work, in the car, uh, with our spouses, we can't expect to be people of compassion unless compassion marks us all the time on our, on our uh, Twitter pages, on our Facebook posts. Are you a man who practices compassion? Because there will be big moments when you're called to lead with compassion. Make it a muscle that's well developed by practicing every day. I'm going to conclude with this. Men to have a domino. Don't have one. Domino is an inch and a half tall or an inch and three quarters, something like that. Now, the way dominoes work is if you hit one domino into another domino, they keep falling like that. And you can see lots of videos on that. But one domino has the ability of knocking down another domino 1.5 times its size. A man named Aaron Keyes put me onto this. So if you take one domino and then a domino 1.5 times bigger than that domino, it can still push it over. If you take one point that larger domino and then had a 1.5 times larger all the way up, that single domino that started, if you went up that way, by the 14th domino, if I hit the first domino, 1.5 all the way up, the 14th domino would hit the ceiling here in our sanctuary. The 20th domino, again, started by that single one, would, would be as tall as the Statue of Liberty. 23rd domino, the Eiffel Tower, and the Khalifa Tower in Dubai, which is 2,717 feet, would be met in size by the... 26th domino. So often we want to charge ahead and change the world and make a difference. What I would say is be a spiritual father. Knock the next domino. We be, be with people who can knock you in the right ways towards God. Be a part of something that's so much bigger as an individual. It's the kingdom where by God's grace, the movement of God is so much bigger than our individual lives. Develop relationships with people to spiritually nurture. We need spiritual fathers. We need them in homes. We need them in the church of Christ. And I'm so grateful for the many of you who are practicing that in your home, practicing that in our congregation. May we continue with well-used muscles of compassion to be like our God as fully loved sons and then to emulate him to those around us we can lean down and help. Life is not a sprint it's not a marathon, Aaron Keyes says about the dominoes. It's a relay. Look for ways you cannot live for your own kingdom, but to pass along the greatness of our good, good Father.